This, this is the Pat O'Keefe Show. For those of us <laughs> who were um, aware of the point spread in that game of the Raiders laying six and a half points, they have dominated this entire game from start to finish. They led 13 to three for much of the second half. They led 16 to three, and all of a sudden, you look up, three minutes to go. And it is 16 to 10, a six point lead off a six and a half point spread. That's gambling right there for you. 1 800 919 3776. Baker Mayfield in at quarterback for the Rams. I would imagine, and they have nothing to lose. And he's played, I mean, look, the guy was on a different team on Monday. He shows up at the facility on Tuesday. And now he's playing in a national TV game on Thursday, two days after joining the team and getting through as much of the playbook as he possibly could. Considering all of that, Baker Mayfield's actually played pretty well. So if you're the Rams, you're about to fall likely to 3-10. and 10. The season is over. You're going to roll out Baker Mayfield the last four games of this year and see if you can catch lightning in a bottle. He's not a player who has not had any moments in the NFL. You know, his third year in the league, he took a team to the second round of the playoffs and battled the defending Super Bowl champions in the Kansas City Chiefs on their way to the Super Bowl. So this isn't a guy who hasn't had, you know, periods of success in the NFL. And he's done okay today. Rams kick off, so... They'll try to stop the Raiders, force a punt, and take their chances that way. But you look at this Raiders team as things relate back to the Giants and the Jets, or more specifically in this case, the Jets, who are in the seventh spot. Boy, the AFC is so deep. You know, it really is. You've got the Bills and the Chiefs at 9-3. and three. And with all due respect to the Eagles, I still think that the Bills and the Chiefs are the two best teams in the entire NFL. And the biggest reason for that is, is the quarterback. And and look, a lot of us, myself included, are guilty of this. A lot of times you don't know a great quarterback until he becomes a great quarterback. So when I look at Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes, or let me let me rephrase that. When I look at Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen and I compare them to someone like Jalen Hurts, yeah, this year they're all playing at about the same level. You know, I would say Mahomes and Hurts are above where Allen is right now, but Allen has more of a body of work. So when I'm analyzing those quarterbacks, that in my mind helps the argument for Josh Allen. Whereas Jalen Hurts in his third year in the league and really only his second full year as the full-time starter, Jalen Hurts does not have the body of work of the other two. So even though he's playing this year as well as the other two, I'm still not all in. And you're not really all in until you're all in and you have to be all in. So maybe I should be all in on Jalen Hurts, but the fact is I'm not right now. And that's the reason why I think the Bills and the Chiefs are the two best teams in the NFL. The Eagles are right there. I think the Cowboys, with what they can do defensively, are right there. I think if Jimmy Garoppolo didn't get hurt and lost, we think, for the season, I think the 49ers would have been right there. But you look at the top of the AFC with the Bills and the Chiefs at 9-3, and three, and then that third spot's going to be whoever wins the AFC North. And right now it's Baltimore, but they and Cincinnati have the exact same record. I think Cincinnati's a team that no one is interested in facing right now. Joe Burrow, 
seems to be back to the guy who led that team to the Super Bowl last season. So one of those teams is going to be third. And then you have Tennessee pretty much locked in as the AFC South champion and most likely the number four seed. And then from there, right now you've got the Bengals and the Dolphins at eight and four, and you have the Jets at seven and five. So that you're going seven deep of teams that are at least two games above 500. And you would think they'd be clear of the field, but they're not. New England and the Chargers, both six and six. And the Raiders, if they can close out this game, and I will say it's not over yet. It is getting interesting in Los Angeles as they approach the two-minute warning and the Raiders have a six-point lead. But if the Raiders can close out this game and get themselves to six and seven, they're still a factor in this playoff picture. Now, so much of what's going to determine who gets into the playoffs is based on who are you playing down the stretch of the season. And that does not bode well for either the Giants or the Jets. We've been through their schedule. They're both very difficult. And there are three teams out there right now, maybe four, but Jacksonville, in my mind, took a half step back last week when they were blown out by Detroit. There are three definitive teams right now in the NFL that have have sub-500 records that got off to miserable starts this season. All three of them are playing their best football of the season. And if the season started today, or if the season started a month ago, as opposed to two and a half months ago, all three of these teams would be square in the middle of the playoff picture. One of them is the team that we're watching play right now, the Raiders, who are 5-7 and seven with the potential to move to 6-7. and seven. Although with two minutes left, they're punting the ball back to the Rams. So the Rams are going to have a chance to come down and win this game. Wouldn't that be something for Baker Mayfield in his first game? Terrific punt, by the way. Rolls inside the 10. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Down to the two-yard line. Wow. Well, it'll really be some story if Baker Mayfield leads them on a 98-yard touchdown drive. Not only did it roll down to the two-yard line, but it rolled so long, it took 15 seconds off the clock. That's one of the most productive punts you'll ever see your entire life. Wow. But back to the three teams that you have no interest in facing right now. The Raiders are one of them. The Raiders blew so many big leads earlier this season. They're 5-7. and seven. They could easily be 7-5 and five with a chance to go to 8-5 and five tonight. Another team is the Steelers. And they've gotten to 5-7. and seven, And they're not completely out of it, but they just feel like they're building in the right direction as opposed to a team that's really a factor to make the playoffs right now. But you don't want to face the Steelers right now. And the third one, and that's the Giants, because they found this out the hard way about a month ago, the third one is the Detroit Lions. The Lions have won three of their last four games, and the one game that they lost was on Thanksgiving when they almost beat the Bills. So who's going, so if you're the Jets, for example, you're looking at your schedule. Okay, at Buffalo, that's a tough one. Home Detroit, ah, they're sub-500, we should beat Detroit. No. I mean, you should, but it's not as easy as you would have thought it would be a month ago. Same thing with Jacksonville. Now, Jacksonville's not as good as Detroit. They have their good days. They have their bad days. They've made some silly decisions that have cost them games, including the one against the Giants. They're 4-8, and eight, and they're probably better than that record indicates. So that's the tricky thing for the Jets. Their two easiest games are against teams that are playing above their record right now in Detroit and Jacksonville. And then you finish at Seattle. To me, Seattle is the worst of the teams the Jets are going to play. I just think Seattle 
they, they have a similar feel to the Giants. As Baker Mayfield throws an interception, there's a flag in the secondary. Seattle's similar to the Giants in that they played above their head the first half of the season, and it almost wasn't sustainable. They're doing all they can to kind of hold on to that level of play to see if they can get into the playoffs. The interception is waved off due to pass interference against the Raiders, so with a minute and a half left, uh, still a chance here for the Rams down 16-10 to 10 with the ball. And then the Jets finish with Miami on the road, and that game's going to mean something to Miami. And when the Jets beat up on Miami at MetLife Stadium uh, earlier this season, Miami was playing with a third-string quarterback, and that was not the same team that the Jets are going to see the final game of the season. So that's the that's the story for the Jets. Do they have enough to hold off the Patriots? I think so, but you also have to remember that the Patriots do have the tiebreaker, and that's not going to change. Do you have enough to hold off the Chargers? You know, the Chargers are just such a funny team. I, you don't ever want to give up on them completely because they have talent. And then the Raiders, if they can get to 6-7 and seven tonight, make themselves a factor in this race. But here's the other part now. And this is where there's a definitive difference between the Jets and the Giants. And I'll circle back to the question I asked at the beginning of the show in a second. The Jets, and I just said this about the Chargers, that they're a team that has talent. The Jets are a team that has talent. All right, the Jets aren't doing this, and that's the difference between the Jets and the Giants. The Jets aren't doing this with smoke and mirrors. The Jets are doing this with a dominant defense. They have young, developing, dynamic skill players on offense, even though they've lost Brees Hall, one of those dynamic skill players. But Garrett Wilson is a star in the making right now. You're getting something out of your other young wide receivers, Elijah Moore. Oh, this is unbelievable. <laughs> I mean, oh my goodness. The Raiders sacked Baker Mayfield on first down, and then Mayfield stands up, is holding the ball, and the Raiders defensive player smacked the ball out of his hand and got called for unsportsmanlike conduct. And now on the next play, Mayfield... Throws a bullet down the right sideline that's caught inside Raiders territory. Boy, if they blow this game. Now they're down to the 40-yard line. This is unbelievable. The Rams were dead. Here we go. Here comes Baker. <laughs> unbelievable. You had an interception that would have finished the game, but you get called for pass interference. On the next play, you sack Mayfield. And the Rams are out of timeouts. So they had... No recourse but to try to hurry up to the line and continue the drive, except you get called for an unsportsmanlike conduct penalty. And next thing you know, Mayfield completes a couple passes. Now three in a row, and you're inside the 25-yard line. Well, the Jets are rooting for the Rams right now. This would be the capper on this season for the Raiders and Josh McDaniels if they blow this game. Remember, it's a six-point game. So... 15 seconds to go, 16 to 10. Stay tuned. But the three sub-500 teams you don't want to face right now are the Steelers and the Detroit Lions in the AFC. And <laughs> maybe I'll have to amend this last one, which is the Las Vegas Raiders. But a lot of these 
quote-unquote lousy teams are going to have a hand in this. Even the Browns. The Browns are 5-7, and seven, but now they're 5-7 and seven with Deshaun Watson as their starting quarterback. So that's not the team that got them to 5-7. and seven. And Mayfield throws a touchdown pass. <laughs> they can't make it up. <laughs> oh, my. You guys watching this in there? <laughs> he throws a touchdown pass with nine seconds to go to Van Jefferson. He goes eight plays, 98 yards in a minute, 36 seconds. The guy was unemployed 48 hours ago. <laughs> See, this is what Baker does. He's exciting. He's rah-rah. He's running around the field. You know, when everything breaks down around him and you just say, hey, go out there and make a play. By the way, they still need to kick the extra point. When everything breaks down and you say, go out there and make a play, he can do that. Does he have... Oh, I know we got we to gotta take a quick break. I got to see if this extra point goes through before we do. Does he have the staying power, though, to do it consistently for a franchise? This is his third franchise, right? 2018, 19, 20. It's his fifth year in the league, and it's his third franchise. It's his third franchise since week 18 of last season. So what does that tell you? But this was, this was something. And the Raiders have had some bad losses this year. You go through it. The Arizona game comes to mind where they lose 29-23. They had a 20 to nothing lead in that. Yeah, Jeff Saturday's debut, uh, where they lose uh, to the Colts 25 to 20. This game was over. And the extra point is good. So it's 17 to 16. The Rams leading the Raiders. Seriously, this game is over. We were lamenting like two minutes ago that the Raiders weren't going to cover the six and a half. They're not going to win the freaking game. Unbelievable. All right, I take it back. Al Michaels, this game may have been sloppy in the first half and ugly to watch, but you got an unbelievable finish here in Los Angeles. It's not going to help the Rams' positioning to try to draft their quarterback of the future, but they're not worried about that right now. All right, we'll continue to look ahead to Week 14. Step aside for a moment, and we'll get some of your calls in if you want at 1-800-919-3776. With you until midnight, Pat O'Keefe here on 98.7 ESPN New York. This This is the Pat O'Keefe Show. trying to get my thoughts together here. My goodness. That finish in Los Angeles was wild. 17-16 is the final score. The Rams beat the Raiders. I'm just jotting down unbelievable note after unbelievable note here. All right, so here's the Raiders season. So anyway, forget everything I said about them. All the nice things I said about the Raiders for the last hour and 20. Actually, they're still technically a sub-500 team that you'd rather not face because they're a lot better than their now 5-8 and eight record. But in terms of the Jets having to worry about... I mean, the Raiders... I'm at a loss for words right now. The Raiders were on the verge of inserting themselves back into the playoff picture in the AFC. They were three minutes away and had a 13-point lead 
from improving to 6-7. and seven, A game and a half behind the Jets and a half game behind both the Patriots and the Chargers and playing as well as anyone in the AFC. Here's their season. They have a 20 to nothing lead over Arizona. They lose that game. Arizona's horrible this year, by the way. I know there's some people out there, like Joe Leo, our producer, will try to convince me that they're a playoff team last year. They're horrible this year, all right? You got a 17 nothing lead over Kansas City, and you lose that game. Okay, they're a good team, but it's still a 17 to nothing lead. You have a 17 to nothing lead over Jacksonville. You lose that game. You lose to the Colts when they hired a head coach who was doing television analysis three days prior to the game. Comes out, coaches that team, beats you, Jeff Saturday, with Indianapolis. And tonight, a 16 to 3 lead, 16 to 3. With four minutes left. It's not like, you know, all 13-point leads are not created equal. All right? This wasn't one of those shootout games where it's 51-38 to with four minutes left and one of the teams scores two touchdowns in the final four minutes. This team, in this case the Rams, had scored three points for 56 and a half minutes of this game. At quarterback, they had a man who joined their team 48 hours prior, probably got to about page five in the playbook, had already been jettisoned by two separate NFL teams in the last 12 months. And in those final three and a half minutes, he leads two touchdown drives, leads this listless Rams team to a win over the Raiders who needed the game who are playing for something. It's simply unbelievable. It's unbelievable on both ends. Good for Baker Mayfield. Really impressive. And I'm looking at the key play again. The key play again, look, pass interference calls happen. The personal foul penalty, if you haven't had a chance to see it, the personal foul penalty where Baker gets sacked, stands up, and the lineman for the Raiders knocks the ball out of his hands. Just I just I I just never look. I've never been in that situation. You know, I'm not Chris Canty and I'm not Bart Scott. You know, I haven't put on the helmet and been out there in that super charged atmosphere. All right, I played sports, but not that, not this sport. First of all, and not on that level at all. All right, so I don't know what it's like out there. So it's probably easy for me to sit here and say, why would you do that? Can't wait. But why would you do that? John Feliciano last week, you know, you completed the 15-yard pass. You got the first down. You're down to the 35-yard line. Go back to the huddle and play the next play. And tonight, that would have ended the game. It was first down. They're deep in their own territory. They have no timeouts left. You sack him, and then you smack the ball out of his hands. And it, it wasn't... It didn't look like anything huge. But why give the official the opportunity to throw that flag? Just go back to the huddle like you're two plays away from winning. And just like that, your season's over. Poof. Your season is over. It's really mind-boggling. I knew this game would come up, by the way. 
Baker Mayfield's first win. Also on a Thursday night, September 20th, 2018, week three against the New York Jets. Baker Mayfield comes on in relief of Tyrod Taylor. The Jets in that game, let's see. Talk about blowing leads. The Jets jumped out to a 14 to nothing lead. And Isaiah Crowell, <laughs> here's some names, seven-yard touchdown run, followed by another Crowell touchdown in the second quarter. And the Jets were off and running, about to improve to 2-1 and one to start the season until Baker comes in. Now, why is that significant? Because I just saw a note on the Amazon Prime broadcast here. Baker Mayfield just became the first quarterback in the Super Bowl era to lead a 13-point comeback in his first start with two different teams. He does it tonight with the Rams against the Raiders. And, of course, as Jet fans all know the night in Cleveland in 2018, September 20th, 2018, he led a 14-point comeback against the Jets as the Browns beat the Jets that night, 21-17. to What This is unbelievable. I mean, it really was. But this is a gift for the Jets. This makes their pad. Look, the, Ra- the Raiders weren't going to be that much of a factor. But at 6-7 and seven, and a dangerous 6-7, and seven, they were about to insert themselves into that playoff picture. The Jets right now look behind them, and they have to hold off two teams. And they're two dangerous teams. One of them has a tiebreaker. That's what makes the Patriots dangerous. The other one has a top-10 quarterback in Justin Herbert. For the San Diego, or <laughs> there you go, for the Los Angeles Chargers. That is what makes them dangerous. The Raiders would have been that third dangerous team that the Jets are looking over their shoulder at. And what would have made them dangerous is the fact that they are playing as well as anybody right now. But now they're 5-8, and eight, and for all intents and purposes, their hopes of going to the playoffs are finished because they could not hold a 16-3 to lead with less than four minutes to go in the fourth quarter of a game in which they dominated. We'll get some thoughts on the Giants-Eagles game coming up, and we'll touch on the Knicks. Some good signs from them after they won back-to-back games with a different look and some stout defensive performances on their home floor. We're going to look ahead for the Knicks because there's an opportunity to start to separate themselves oh-so-slightly from the teams in their neighborhood in the Eastern Conference standings. It's Pat O'Keefe till midnight on 98.7 ESPN New York. This This is the Pat O'Keefe Show. Up until last week, I would have said that I thought the Giants and the Seahawks were both uh, slipping from their early season production, which I think in both cases was above their talent level. But the way the NFC is shaking out right now, At most, one of those two teams is going to miss the playoffs. Um, And they might both get in, depending on how Washington finishes its schedule. But for the Giants, at 7-4-1, of those three teams, they still continue to have the upper hand. Uh, Again, the tie against Washington eliminates, for the most part, unless Seattle ties one of its final five games, but the tie eliminates the tiebreaker that the Seahawks 
holds over the Giants because it's unlikely they're going to finish with the same record. But Philadelphia at home and then at Washington, at Minnesota. So those are three very difficult games, followed by a home game against Indianapolis. And then the last game is really interesting because it's at Philly, and you think, okay, well, Philly's the best team in the NFL. They're 11-1 and playing them on the road. That's going to be an extremely difficult game, except it's the final week of the regular season. All right, and this is where Minnesota uh, is interesting. And the Giants, two weeks from now, can really help themselves out when they go to play Minnesota. Because, yes, Minnesota's 10-2, and two, but they're not a scary 10-2 and two team. Just like the Giants weren't a scary 6-1 and one team. It's very similar. But if the Giants can go out and beat Minnesota and give the Eagles at least a two-game cushion over the rest of the NFC going into Week 18, then that game for Philadelphia would mean absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing if they're already locked into the number one seed. So what Philadelphia team would the Giants face that day? If the Giants need the win to get into the playoffs and the game means nothing to Philadelphia, would they see Jalen Hurts? Would they see a lot of their starters? I don't know. You know, history would suggest, no, they wouldn't. You know, what the Giants did in 2007, the final game against the Patriots, when the Patriots are going for 16-0, and Giants were locked into the number five seed. You know, that was as much about getting the Giants ready for the playoffs uh, as it was trying to prevent the Pats from going 16-0. and You know, the situations are different. The Giants, yes, they were locked into their playoff spot as the fifth seed. They weren't a juggernaut. Tom Coughlin still needed to see more from that Giants team. That's why they went out and played and played at that very high level. And his plan worked to perfection. You know, they went toe-to-toe with the undefeated team. They lost 38-35. to They left the field thinking they could not only beat the Patriots, but beat anyone, and they did. And they went on to win the Super Bowl. Philadelphia, if they have the number one seed locked up in the NFC for Week 18, they're not approaching it with the same mindset. They're going to be comfortable where they are. You know, they're not locked into the number five seed or the number four seed. They're locked in as the number one team in the NFC, and have been all season long. So I think if they have nothing to play for in terms of the standings, I don't think the Giants see their best at all. They definitely, I don't, I shouldn't, you never say definitely. I really don't think they would see Jalen Hurts. So the Giants' schedule could get interesting down the stretch. It's certainly not easy, but it could become easier as we go along. Now, the first step on that five game remaining schedule is the Eagles on Sunday at MetLife Stadium, mentioned Jalen Hurts. Brian Dayball this week was asked about the quarterback of the Eagles. Yeah, I got a lot of respect for Jalen. Tremendous person, first and foremost. Highly competitive, extremely smart, great leader. Reason why he's probably at the top of the list for MVP right now. Playing with a great team. Go on and on about Jalen. It means a lot to me. All right, so here's Dayball on the Eagles as a whole. Yeah, I think the biggest statistic is 11-1, and one, and usually that correlates for the most part. So I think Howie's done a great job of putting together a really good team, and I think Nick's a fantastic coach. known him for a while. Gets the most out of his guys, and they're playing at a really high level. That's why they're the best team in the league. Some specifics would be nice. Is there anything that stands out about the Eagles? 
everything. Their defensive line, their receivers, their quarterback, their offensive line. I mean, their offensive line is as good as it gets. Starts with Kelsey. Gets everything set. Just been a fantastic player for a really long time. I think Jalen is is operating at an extremely high level. And throw AJ, Devontae, you know, Quez got injured there. We'll see where he's at. The running game is really good. Their defense, their corners, their line. I mean, they can rush the pass. There's a reason why they're 11-1. and one. They're a well-rounded team. I think the best sign to come out of the Giants' tie against Washington on Sunday was the fact that the Giants in the second, third, and fourth quarters and overtime of that game, the Giants got back to playing the competitive style of football, more their style than they had been. They hadn't been doing that for about a month. They got back to doing that against Washington in that game. What the Giants did earlier this season was they would play teams that are more talented than them, and they would get them into these close rock fight types of games all the way back to week one with the Titans first half of that game it looked like the Titans weren't going to allow the Giants to pick up a first down the entire night Giants hung in there hit a couple of big plays in the second half Dayball makes the big decision at the end to go for two and next thing you know you win 21-20 on the road they beat a bad Panthers team then they lose to the Cowboys but again Hung in there. Lost by a touchdown. Cowboys are much more talented than the Giants. And the Giants kept it close against them twice this year. You beat a bad Bears team. A perfect example of how the Giants were playing earlier this season was the London game against the Packers. First half of that game, it looked like the Packers were going to beat them by 20 points. But the Giants hung in there. They made some adjustments in the second half, put a lot more pressure on Aaron Rodgers. He did nothing after halftime. Daniel Jones, even with Saquon Barkley out for a lot of that game, had one of his best games, throwing and running the football. Giants kept it close, beat the Packers at the end. Same thing the next week against the Ravens. Same thing the next game against the Jaguars. That's what the Giants were doing earlier this season. They played that way last week against Washington. The only difference was they didn't win the game. And you know what? They would have won the game if... One of several things that didn't happen happened. If Feliciano could just go back to the huddle and not pick up the personal foul, Giants win that game. If Julian Love catches an interception deep in Washington territory, Giants win that game. If Darius Slayton holds on to the pass from Daniel Jones, Giants win that game. And again, the big thing is to me is the Feliciano play. I shouldn't even say a play. It wasn't a play. The Feliciano action. It's inexcusable. It really is. It t- it's, it's taking a victory. It's taking a victory and turning it into a tie. And depending on how the Giants plus Washington and Seattle play the final five weeks of the season, that may cost the Giants everything. But the schedule is tough. It could get easier. But the Giants, to me, Jones running the football more, defense more opportunistic, coming up with the big play, the big stop when it was of utmost importance, ratcheting up the defensive pressure. You started to see those things, and you didn't see it against a team that is already mailing it in for the rest of the season. You saw it against a commander's team that was 6-1 and in their last seven games. A good team, a really good, solid team. So that was a good sign. Now you're going up against a team that, has been the best in the NFL all season long. Every time someone waits for them to come back to earth, 
they seemingly get better and better. And that's the task facing the Giants this week. The interesting thing for the Giants and the Jets, they each play the number one team in their respective conference this week. So the expectations are they're both going to lose. You just want to see, you want to see them, especially the Giants, because the Jets, to me, I know what the Jets are. The Jets are a good team. And if the Jets don't get into the playoffs this year, it's going to be for a couple of reasons. Number one, they were in a conference with a lot of tough teams battling for those wild card spots. Number two, the Jets lost some games earlier this season that they deserve to win, mainly because they did not have good play as a quarterback. And number three, now that the Jets have upgraded at quarterback, the schedule is a whole lot tougher. So if they don't make the playoffs, I think it's going to be for one of those three reasons. You know, if the Giants don't make the playoffs, it's because the Giants weren't good enough. The Giants played have played over their heads. Earlier this season, we thought the Jets were playing over their heads too. They're not playing over their heads. This is who the Jets are. You know, if you ask me right now to sit here, forget about this year. You ask me right now, which one of these two teams do you have more confidence in making the playoffs next season? It's clearly the Jets. They're just a better team. So that's why for the Giants, it's important that they play well against the Eagles. Don't let them come into your building and beat you by 20 points. You want to see a competitive brand of football, even if you don't win. You know, week three against Dallas, I know Cooper Rush was playing quarterback and you thought it was a missed opportunity not winning a game at home on Monday night against the opposing team's backup quarterback. But outside of the quarterback, Dallas is so much more talented than the Giants. So the fact that the Giants had a lead in the second half of that game, only lost by a touchdown, those were all positive signs. I want to see something similar from them this week against Philadelphia because that also means that you're carrying some of that momentum of playing pretty well against Washington into next week. All right, some bad news on the injury front for the Knicks. Tom Thibodeau's playing rotation is going to change yet again starting tomorrow night when they visit the Hornets in Charlotte. We'll talk about that as we continue here at 98.7 ESPN New York. This This is the Pat O'Keefe Show. At 6.30 for the New York Knicks pregame show as the Knicks hit the road for one game only in Charlotte to take on a Hornets team that has been banged up and shorthanded. Uh, Knicks beat them at the Garden during their 3-1 and one start to the season. Charlotte right now is 7-18. and 18. Knicks have a little something going on right now. Saturday against Dallas was, in my opinion, the low point of the season so far. It was one of those 12-30 matinee games at the Garden that the Knicks used to win all the time because the opposing team would come into New York on a Friday night or a Saturday night. They would go out and enjoy all that New York has to offer. And then when the ball was tipped at the Garden the next day at either 12 or 12-30, let's just say they weren't in peak physical condition. And look, in the 90s, the Knicks had a team talented enough to take care of that, take advantage of that all the time. And in recent years, uh, that advantage has not been as prevalent as the Knicks 
teams have not been as talented. But it seemed like on Saturday it could be one of those games. Luka Doncic was off in the first half. He was sluggish. The Knicks had a seven-point lead. And then Dallas comes out and scores 41 points in the third quarter of that game. They end up winning it by 21. It wasn't that close. Luka and Tim Hardaway Jr., each of them on their own, outscored the entire Knicks team in the third quarter. And when they weren't hitting three-pointers, it was like a conga line to the basket, layup after layup. And it really was, in my opinion, the low point of the season. And then the next night, Cleveland comes in, and it's Donovan Mitchell, and he wanted to come to the Knicks, and he's from New York. And it was his first game with his new team in the Garden, and you just assumed he was going to put on a show. And Tom Thibodeau made some changes that, for two games anyway, have worked. He shortened the rotation, and he put more defensive-minded guys in the rotation. If you haven't seen Quinton Grimes play the last three games, he's doing a heck of a job defensively against the opposing team's top perimeter player. And then yesterday, I think he had his best all-around game against Atlanta. He hit five three-pointers and scored 23 points. Julius Randle had his best game of the season, 34 points and 17 rebounds. But unfortunately, coming out of that game yesterday was the news that Obi Toppin has a non-displaced fracture of his right fibula. So he's out for several weeks. He's not going to be reevaluated for three or four more weeks, and that's a reevaluation. So you're looking at a month, maybe two months at least, that you're going to be without Obi Toppin. Tom Thibodeau has settled on a starting lineup, Brunson and Grimes with Barrett, Randall, and Mitchell Robinson. And the four guys right now that are coming off the bench are quickly, and it has been Toppin, Isaiah Hartenstein as the backup center, and Deuce McBride has jumped ahead of Derrick Rose as the backup point guard because of what he brings defensively. So now the question is, who is going to fill top and spot in the rotation? You don't really have an easy answer on the roster. There's not another power forward on the roster other than Toppin and obviously Julius Randle. So could it be Cam Reddish? He's a bigger wing. Could he work his way back into the rotation? Could it be somebody like Jericho Sims, who's technically the Knicks' third-string center but has shown some athleticism that he might be able to guard opposing teams' power forwards? We'll see. It'll be interesting to see what Tom Thibodeau does with his rotation tomorrow. The other interesting thing is Derrick Rose is out of it for now, and I don't think that's a long-term solution, but right now Deuce McBride is clearly the backup point guard for the Knicks. And the results have been there. The Knicks have played 25 games. They're 12 and 13. Their first 23 games, they did not hold an opponent under 100 points in any of them. The other team scored 100 points all 23 games. Sunday, the Cavs score 81. And yesterday, the Hawks score 89. Now you go to Charlotte. You play a bad Hornets team. If you win, you get back to 500. And I mentioned this last night on the postgame show. The Knicks schedule the next week and a half is very interesting because it's not overly difficult, but then it gets difficult. So after the Hornets tomorrow, you host the Sacramento Kings on Sunday evening. Kings are 13-10. and 10. They're much improved. They're a terrific offensive team. And then you go to Chicago to play the Bulls in back-to-back games. The Bulls have been bad. They're 10-14. and 14. Then you go to Indiana to face a Pacers team that's young 
and probably not as good as their 13-12 and 12 record would indicate. So those are the next five games for the Knicks starting tomorrow. Can they win three of them? Can they win four of their next five games and get a couple of games above 500? Someplace they have not been this season since they started the season 3-1. and one. If they're going to be anything more than just a team that's sitting in ninth, 10th, 11th place in the East all season long, because that's what they've been so far. You know, they get to 500, they go a game above 500, they go a game below 500, they go two games below 500. If they're going to be something more than that, a team that is better than one that's in the ninth, 10th, 11th place mix, this is the stretch to get something done. Because after those five games, yes, they come home, but here's what they come home to. The Warriors, the Raptors, the Bulls again, the 76ers on Christmas. A very difficult four-game homestand. So we'll see what the Knicks can do in these next five games starting tomorrow night against the Charlotte Hornets. But no Obi Toppin for a month or two. He's going to be reevaluated three to four weeks. Tom Thibodeau just changed his rotation and got it to a place where he was comfortable with what they were getting offensively and very comfortable with what they were giving defensively. Here's my honest opinion. Of the nine guys in the rotation, and this might not be a popular opinion to Knicks fans, especially those who like Obi, and I don't mean this as a slight, but my honest opinion of the nine guys who are currently in the rotation, if you ask me to pick one who the Knicks could probably most do without, I think I would say Obi Toppin. You know, right now you're getting terrific defense from Deuce McBride. Isaiah Hartenstein has been a really good backup center. Emmanuel quickly is your lead guard off the bench. You don't want to use the word expendable, but I guess if you put a gun to my head and say, all right, you got to take one of these guys out, it probably would be Obi Toppin. So we'll see how much that hampers them. And on the other end, you do have the Brooklyn Nets, who right now are 14-12 and 12 and in fourth place in the Eastern Conference, just like that. you got the top two teams, Boston and Milwaukee. They're ahead of everyone. And then Cleveland is sitting in third place right now, far enough behind the top two that they're not going to catch them, and far enough ahead of everyone else that they're comfortable for now. And just like that, the Brooklyn Nets in fourth place. Jacques Vaughn seems to have that stabilized for now. I'll be back tomorrow, 6.30 for Knicks pregame. Have a great Friday, everyone.